It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it like when Tatum play a Jalen on the breakaway or Kyrie when he make a trade. And nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth that after you play it, you got a repeat. So in depth they might do an hour about the D League. So in depth you probably should pay him, but it's a freebie. Yeah, Corrales Packard and J. King locked on trying to get the 18th ring. And well wishes go to Gordon. Listen after every game is very important, Millie. Hey there, welcome back to the Lockdown Celtics Podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thank you for making us part of your daily routine. We are here for you Monday through Friday. Thanks for making us part of your everyday, whatever, in the car, whether you're out in the gym, running in the park, whatever it is. In the shower. In the shower. We're, we're hanging out right next to you in the shower. We're doing all of that stuff, and we're going to enjoy this one because Celtics... The home Celtics beat the road Cavaliers by 13, 96, 83. Of course they did, because this is the most ridiculous home road disparity I've ever seen. Uh, I've never seen two teams look so good at home and so terrible on the road, but whatever. Uh, we are the Rainer Jays. I'm John Corrales. That down there, if you're on Instagram Live, is Sam Jam Packard joining you live from the Garden. Uh, he's been giving people a little tour on the Instagram Live. If you're not on Instagram or you're not following us, go to the Locked On Celtics Instagram page. We're going to start doing these on post games. So uh, this is uh, a little thing, just a little taste of it. We'll do the first part of the podcast live on the Instagram. Now Sam's going to take a little, a little taste of what's going on. So storylines coming up from the Celtics' perspective. Jason Tatum, awesome, awesome on both ends of the floor. Uh, the Celtics started Aaron Baines, and it seemed to pay off because Tristan Thompson was a Negative, net negative the whole night. Al Horford, tough, tough baskets, really worked hard. From the Cavs' perspective, J.R. Smith sucked. LeBron was tired. The, the, you didn't hear it because, Sam, because you are at the, uh, the game. The, at the end of the game, all they could talk about on the broadcast was how tired LeBron looked. And Tyron Lue was just really weird with his substitution. So I'm thinking the home road thing uh, affects his coaching too. Let's start, Sam, from the top. Jason Tatum, 24 points, 7 of 15 shooting, 3 of 7 from 3, 7 of 8 from the line, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 steals, 2 blocks. He was awesome, but I was especially impressed with him on the defensive end. You stole my point. That's exactly what I was going to say. I thought he was amazing on defense. Tatum length came through in the clutch uh, big time. And I thought um, there's one of the major reasons the Celtics were able to uh, kind of have the success that they did. I thought they, they played fantastic defense tonight. And we, I'm sure we're going to talk about like how engaged LeBron was later. But Tatum defensively, um, I think, was really uh, the key. You mentioned his four steals, his two blocks, just creating a bunch of turnovers. And I don't know if it's um, the like the defense made him more aggressive offensively, but he was just he was just taking threes like it was uh, November. Uh, he took. <laughs> Like we have not, I think he took more threes in this game than he had like the whole rest of the series. Don't hold me to that stat because I know it's not accurate, but it felt like that was the case. And it, he was just taking three uh, pull-up threes, 
um, when he had a mismatch against Kevin Love early. Uh, I just thought he was playing with a lot of energy tonight, and he was definitely, the I think, the Celtics' best player in the game, which is insane to say uh, but he, because he's a rookie. But you're right. I think the Celtics, the defense was um, phenomenal. Uh, they held the Cavs to, what, it was, what, three quarters without uh, under 20 points? I'm not really counting the, the garbage in the in the fourth quarter when they took LeBron out, but the Celtics' defense was great, and I think that actually has to do with Aaron Baines um, starting there was a lot of talk pregame since Al Horford made uh, all defensive second team. I felt like no matter any question that either Brad or um, Horford was asked about it, they were very quick to bring up that Aaron Baines deserves a lot of the credit. And I think that's one of the one of the reasons the Celtics were so successful tonight is they they kind of played an ugly rough em up game, and and that's one way to slow down the, the kind of Cavaliers' offense is just to muddy up the paint make it so lebron can't drive and baines i think baines did a great job and really changed the changed the whole dynamic for the celtics yeah so let's let's get that statistic out of the way first of all you weren't that far off because he took seven three jason tatum took seven three-pointers tonight that is he took uh 10 in the first four games of the series so, uh, uh, yeah, you're right there. You're right there. So it, was, it, it wasn't that far off. He took five in game one, three in game two, and only one in the two losses in Cleveland. So that a, a super aggressive Jason Tatum. Yeah, look, that was a, a very indicative of that home road disparity. Like that, I hate saying it because it felt like we started saying it early on in the playoffs the role players play better at home thing. And now I can't listen to a podcast without somebody saying it. It's so, the trope of the playoffs. The best trope there is. It really is. It, it's it's also true. It's also true. Like, I tweeted out that J.R. Smith basically plays for whatever the home team is in that in this series. Like, if, if they're in Boston, and J.R. Smith might as well be wearing a Boston uniform because he's that bad on the road. These Cavaliers on the road. Uh, George Hill was horrible tonight. He was a massive key for the Cavaliers in games three and four. Larry Nance came in and changed the energy in games three and four. Nowhere to be seen. Tristan Thompson, what after games three and four, listening to the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, everybody's talking about, hey, Tristan Thompson rejuvenated, renewed, came in here, completely negated, 0 of 3, 26 minutes, a minus 15, didn't block a shot, only grabbed six rebounds, one offensive rebound. So these guys on the Cavs have just been largely garbage in in Boston. And on top of it, I'll, I'll jump out of order here, Tyron Lue, like, is, is he is he supposed to be a good coach? Is he not supposed to be a good coach? How do you not play – uh, Kyle Korver in the entire first quarter. It just didn't make any sense. I don't. I don't know why. Especially because he was killing the Celtics and is like the main guy off the bench. Uh, his rotations didn't make a lot of sense. We got a lot of Jordan Clarkson tonight, who was a solid three Thank for God. ten from the field. Uh, so he also shot seven three pointers, which uh, I think is a win for the Celtics. Um, I think we can talk about the the role players in the home run splits, but I think this really comes down to. Um, LeBron James, like, he just didn't look, I don't know if he was tired, but he didn't look engaged. Like, he wasn't, 
it felt like every single time he like went to the rim, he thought he got fouled and then just didn't get back on defense, leading to easy transition. Um, he just – I don't know if it was just he didn't want to go up against Burley Boy Baines in the paint and didn't want to drive, but it just – he looked sloppy all night. Uh, a lot of dumb turnovers, turnovers where he just threw the ball at Celtics players, which is not normally something you see him doing. I think the entire Cavs offense is kind of um, – I guess the entire team is reliant on LeBron James making everyone around him better. And if LeBron's going to have an off night or take a night off, of course the other guys aren't going to show up. Um I thought the Celtics defense did a better job of doing that scramble switching and kind of quickly sending Baines uh, on the catch on the entry pass to LeBron when he was on Rozier. Uh, and that just like that automatically puts LeBron into like passing mode and forces him to distribute the ball. I thought um, they did a good job kind of keeping it out of his hands and forcing him either to take outside shots or pass it to the other guys. And it turns out the only other guy who was at all useful tonight for the Cavs was Kevin Love. Who wasn't even that great. He was decent in the first quarter. He knocked down a couple threes, one from real deep, but he only finished with 14 points. Uh, there, it seemed like the, the Cavs didn't really know what the hell they were doing on offense, which is not what I expected. Um, I didn't expect like a, a slugfest like this where both offenses struggled because the, I thought the series was going to be the Cavs great offense versus the, um, and the Celtics playing against the Cavs terrible defense. Tonight was just like a kind of the opposite where the Cavs offense was trash. And the Celtics, I mean, the Cavs' defense was, it wasn't terrible, but um, really, they really struggled to score tonight. So, the, okay, I'm getting the jam, the jam packard is muted on the Instagram, by the way. So, I, I just, I guess what this boils down to is, can the Celtics go into Cleveland and duplicate this like we, we've talked through a lot of this stuff this is we're basically repeating games one and games two like the podcast from game one and game two so like game, LeBron James didn't holy crap what are they building out there that is insane um the the LeBron James in games one and game two aside from the first quarter in game two he has been mostly kind of passive in Boston. And I, I don't know what it is with LeBron. Uh, they said he looked tired. And they even went to the Cavaliers beat reporter, and they confirmed, quote-unquote, that he, yeah, he's tired. He never, he has a point of pride, they said on the broadcast, of not bending over and putting his hands on his knees and showing he's tired. But he was doing it tonight. So He yeah. should have a point of pride of getting back on defense. Like, yeah. That's the dumbest narrative ever. There's like I've counted at least six times tonight where he was arguing a call that led directly to transition transition buckets for the Celtics. Like I'm gonna tell you, that is a BS narrative. That, that bullshit is, narrative. That we can is, swear on this. <laughs> that is a point of emphasis. The Celtics attack whenever LeBron James misses a shot, especially if he misses a layup or something up close where he's going towards the basket. They attack. They have to get out and attack the other way. Because he will not get back on defense. That is a definite point of emphasis for the Celtics. So, LeBron, whatever, Kevin Love had a great first quarter where he had 10 points in the first quarter, and he had zero in the second. In fact, this goes to what – I know he had two fouls, but he only played four minutes in the second quarter. Like, that's another Tyron Lue. Like, what the hell are you doing? Then he plays the whole third quarter, and he plays three minutes in the fourth. Like, I have no idea what the hell Tyron Lue is doing, but – Whatever. 
let's do this. We're going to wrap up the Instagram portion of this. So I want to thank everybody for, uh, let me just see if there are any questions in here. Yes, I did call Celtics in six. Woohoo! So everybody in here on the Instagram as Jam Dabs, I want to shout you all out. Sorry that you couldn't hear Sam, but, you know, hey, you get, you get to use your imagination. And I hope this worked out for you. We are going to uh, I'm going to end this. Be sure to check out the rest of the podcast because we're going to answer the question of, can the Celtics duplicate this effort and win this thing in six, or are we coming back for game seven? So bye-bye, Instagram. Thanks for joining us there. And there goes the game. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so that's the question, Sam. Can the Celtics somehow buck this trend? Have they found something? Can they go to Cleveland and make this thing a game? Uh, make this uh, close this out? Can they, can they go in there and... Do what they did tonight, which is go out and score and outscore the Cavaliers, drop 32 in the first quarter. It seems like whoever scores 30 in the first quarter wins these games. I think they may have found a solution in starting Aaron Baines. I think that's like their defensive roots, and that's like the what was their best defensive lineup the entire year. I don't think like we talk about role players and role players playing better at home. I don't even think that like Terry Rozier had an awful game. Like, he was 3 for 15. Jalen Brown was not great from the field either, uh, 4 for 15. Uh, the Celtics role players, Marcus Morris, 5 of 13. The Celtics role players were not great offensively in this game. And so maybe the the answer is just playing, like, really physical, grimy basketball and having Baines there. Baines playing – he played 29 minutes tonight. Um, the Celtics also really shortened the rotation, pretty much only using Morris and Smart off the bench until garbage time. Maybe that's the answer of just really trying to slow down the game, 
um, and playing very physical defense and trying to limit the Cavs that way, just going strength versus strength. Um, and so Baines might be the solution because I thought he was great um, in this game defensively. I thought he had a, a big impact. Seven rebounds, two offensive rebounds with for putbacks, and basically it made Tristan Thompson um, irrelevant. So I think they can win it in six. Would I be shocked if uh, they get blown out again? No, because I just watched games three and four. Um, but I do think that the starting Baines was a was a good move by um, Brad Stevens, just because the Celtics team their strength is has been their defense. So why not rely on that defense uh, when you need it? Interesting comment from. Uh, Ty Lue after the game tweeted out by by J King and brought to our attention by John Warden who responded to it by saying that makes zero sense. Teron Lue said after the game, the Celtics threw the Cavs for a loop by declining to play Ojale. That's why Corver didn't play as many minutes. That was his matchup. Huh? What? Some say the cucumbers taste better pickled. <laughs> That makes no sense. Like, you only can play Corver when Ojale's in the game? Corver's your best three-point shooter. That is dumb. That is so stupid. I have no other answer for that besides that is dumb. How and was Ojale even getting first quarter minutes, like, no. in earlier in the series? Like, to not play Corver the entire first quarter, it doesn't seem no, it to have anything to do with Ojale. I'm going to give credit to Brad on this one because that's my default position. If he figured it out that, like, not playing semi was the, the way to for them not to play Corver, but that is Let me tell you. downright nonsensical. That sounds – Ty Luza sounds like he started talking and didn't know where he was going and just ended up with that. That is a big pile of bullshit. And if I'm – I'm sorry. If there are any Cleveland Cavaliers fans who are listening who are joining us from the Locked on Cavs uh, podcast, it, if your coach says the other guy's decision to not play Shemi Ojale is what threw you for a loop, you've got a shitty coach. That is absolutely horrible. I cannot believe that he let those words escape his mouth. That is embarrassing for Teron Lou. Jesus, that's nuts. I, I – I, I can't even wait. I can't wait to listen to the Lockdown Cavs podcast just to hear what they have to say about that. Because that is, I mean, I, it, maybe it makes sense. Like, uh, if you want Kyle Korver against a, a kind of bigger guy who can't stay with him on the perimeter, but I don't even remember that many times when uh, Semi is the one who is trailing Korver around screens. It feels like it's most oftentimes been Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown. Um, I'm I am speechless. I'm without speech. That is, that is, wow. Okay, let's get back on track because that's just, I'm just completely thrown for a loop. I am thrown for a loop by what threw, what threw Tyron Lou for a loop. Uh, I, I want to say that the home road thing when we talk about can they go to game six, the, the third quarter started kind of sloppily and the Celtics really didn't play great to start the third quarter. Uh, they had a bunch of turnovers early, uh, a bunch of misses. They were up 11, and it could have been much worse. Rozier turned the ball over. Uh, let's see. Jalen Brown turned the ball over. Uh, Rozier missed a shot. Horford missed a shot. There It was at 55-46 for a solid two minutes of NBA basketball. And 
the Cavaliers just could not capitalize. They couldn't score. No. I have in my notes right around those times is turnover, LeBron jogs back, Tatum hits a three in transition, and then LeBron throws the ball off Hoffa's head. I've been writing, saying, I've been writing Hoffa the entire night uh, just because it's stuck in my head now. Uh, but then, and then just Tatum at the, at the end of the shot clock. But during that uh, stretch you're talking about, that early in the third, the Cavs really struggled to get any sort of rhythm offensively. They only scored, I think, 18 points in that quarter, um, which is absurd. Like, this is the Cavaliers, one of the better offenses in the league. And to ha- have them only score 18, um, was, it, it was great defense by the Celtics, but you're right. It's not like the Celtics were doing much else uh, on the offensive end because uh, they only scored 23 points, and it was, it was a kind of a, a sloppy quarter. And I, I think – I don't want to say both teams were feeling each other out. It's just like both teams just were, like, throwing up garbage. No, no one was feeling each other out there. That was trash. Uh, George Hill missed a layup. Kevin Love missed a, a good look at a three. LeBron missed twice in that stretch. Uh, that was an opportunity for, for Cleveland in, in Cleveland. Those were the types of shots that would have fallen and that game would have been probably tied or very close to being tied in Cleveland. And that's the difference I think between home and road. We talk about the young guys, but in, in role players, those are the things that don't happen in Boston that do happen in Cleveland for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know why you, the basket's still the same distance. You should know when you're wide open how long, how much, how hard to shoot the ball. But they, they just missed. And instead of that game being down to like one, two, three points, that lead ballooned up to 15 real quick when the Celtics pulled their heads out of their asses and started putting, you know, putting the ball in the basket again. It, it seemed like there was that stretch, uh, where the Celtics got uh, – there was that Mar- Marcus Morris play in the second quarter where he blocked Larry Nance and it went out of bounds and he, he yapped at them and there was pushing and everything. There was a long period of the Celtics just kind of forgetting how to play basketball. I think that kind of carried over a little bit into the third quarter. And then the Celtics was like, oh, okay, you know, if we, if we do this, if we start running, then we'll be okay. And they did and, and things kind of pulled out, but – the Celtics had opportunities, or the Cavaliers, I should say, had opportunities in the second quarter after that stretch of that, those two technical fouls, and in the third quarter where the Celtics couldn't do a damn thing to start the quarter, and they just didn't. If the, and if this is the, if the exact same scenario plays out in game six, then this is going to be, uh, that, that would have been, I'm sure, a Cavaliers lead. Yeah, the Cavaliers were three of 16 from deep in the second half, and just missing. A lot of a lot of threes. LeBron missed every three he took. Uh, Love missed every three. Jr. missed every three. Jordan Clarkson missed every three. Um, they were just bad, and it felt like the the Celtics that stretch after the uh, the Mook brouhaha, which was uh, wildly entertaining until the Cavs started playing um, much better after it. They were giving up a lot of open shots, uh, open threes, and that you you kind of got nervous there. Um, but the, the Celtics withstood the stor- uh, storm, and then after that, they really locked down on, on defense. And I, I, it's kind of weird because I still don't think the Celtics played that well. I know they got the win, but 
and their defense was good. They forced a lot of turnovers, nine in the second half, um, a lot from LeBron. But I think the Celtics should be a lot crisper on offense. And there's a lot, there's stretches there in the fourth quarter where it was just like minutes, minutes without points from either team. Just like there was a good, um, like four minute stretch where I think like the Cavs scored three points and the Celtics scored four. It was an ugly basketball game. And I'm like, I think that benefits the Celtics just because they can play gritty, they can grind it out, and they're just going to be the team um, playing better defense. But I don't know. It's it's I you, I don't expect the Cavs to shoot three of sixteen in a in a half from three um, at home. They just they're going to be making more threes. But maybe maybe adding Baines to the to the lineup forces LeBron to become more of an outside shooter, limits his drives, and limits what the what the Cavs can do. I thought the Cavs actually. Early on, when they were, we're talking about the scramble switches again, they were doing a pretty good job of um, of their, getting their ball movement and getting to open shots. But I don't know how, like, why they didn't go back to that in the second half. They actually opened up the second half by um, really trying to ISO LeBron. And so when they got Baines out there, um, they, LeBron backed up and got Baines to the perimeter, and then LeBron just blew by him. I'm surprised they didn't go back to that. Um, but if I don't know what the Cavs can do if their guys are not making shots because then it basically just turns into all they have to do is really is worry about LeBron James. Like anytime there's a Kevin Love post up, I know he's a pretty efficient post up player, but I just I still think that's a like a win for the for the Celtics. Any post up feels like a win um, for the Celtics just because that's not the most efficient basketball. The Celt the I feel like the Cavs offense is at the at its best um, when it's LeBron surrounded by four shooters and. The kind of the neutralization of Al Horford, I guess that that Tristan Thompson does. I think he's done a, a pretty good job on limiting Al Horford. They, the the Cavs did a really good job of like not letting Al Horford get touches, or when he does get it, when he did get touches, like getting um, right up into him. But no matter what, that means you're playing a lineup with LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Tristan Thompson. Uh, just having Tristan Thompson out there is limited the number of shooters, and I think it limits the offense. So. If the Cavs want to counter by taking Tristan Thompson off the floor, I think that just opens up Al Horford. So they're kind of screwed if they do, screwed if they don't. I think it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. is the common phrase that most people use, but <laughs> not me. Um, so I don't know exactly what the what the counter is for the Cavs. If it's maybe they just want to surround them with shooters like uh, Corver, Clarkson, Jr., and Kevin Love, but. I don't know. It's I said this after the first two games, and then the the Celtics came out and got waxed. Uh, so I did like really like the Celtics coming out and scoring thirty in the first quarter, but uh, that wasn't like a lot from from spot up shooting. That I think that was mostly from creating points off transitions because, like I said earlier, the Celtics didn't have a great night offensively. Yeah. So I guess Tristan Thompson is the focal point now. He's the guy. Can can the Cavs? adjust and start somebody else. Maybe they start Corver. Maybe they just, instead of Thompson, they throw Corver out there, and then what happens is the Celtics will counter and just put Morris back out there, and they'll, they'll whenever whenever Tristan Thompson's on the floor, you just bring Baines back out, and that just, you, you just play that game. And so I think the Celtics go ahead go ahead and start Baines again in, in game six, and if, it, if Thompson's out there, great, because Thompson just does not allow he as much as the Celtics defense does not allow LeBron to drive and if LeBron's not driving then he's going to work very very hard to get his baskets 
And if he's working that hard, maybe there is something to him being tired. Maybe, maybe even though he's not running back on defense, maybe this is just the thing where he's played 15 years in the league. He's played more playoff minutes than most guys who are retired and he's already, he's still active. And it's just a, he's working so hard to try to find some semblance of an offense and Tristan Thompson does not space the floor. So he has to work even harder and that just wears him down faster. He's just not the LeBron that he was five years ago. He's older. That happens. So maybe he is actually just tired. Breaking. Maybe he's just tired of playing for Ty Lue. Maybe, maybe with quotes like that, he, I would be too. But so the Tristan Thompson conundrum is, is the thing that I think focuses, that we focus on on game six. If they start Thompson, then Baines, the Celtics will start Baines, and if, if they decide not to start Thompson, then you sub Baines out right away, you put Morris in, and you roll with that, and you just kind of go with it and see. And if they want to, you want to try to have LeBron take over with the four shooters, fine. But then you have problems defensively, and the Celtics will go and attack those mismatches to, uh, on, on offense. If you put Thompson in, like I said, LeBron's going to become more of a shooter, more of a passer, and maybe this is the thing that renders Thompson useless and puts him back on the bench, and then you have to figure out what's their counter. Is it more Larry Nance? Do they finally put Jetty Osmond out there? Do they? Did, what do they do? I, I Personally, I hope they put Jordan Clarkson out there for another 30 minutes because that would help us out. Uh, it's kind of amazing how bad this Cavs team is like you really I'm looking at the box score right now and looking at their bench and it's like there's no real answer for them to turn to and it's kind of amazing that the Celtics got blown out in games three and four just considering what I think is uh, of as a talent disparity um because I like you're right I don't do like is Seti Osman your answer is, like anytime Jordan Clarkson took a shot I was for it uh, it felt like George Hill, um, he only took five shots and they were all, all pull up mid range jumpers. Like, I don't know. I just, it's confusing. It's confusing how badly the Celtics played, uh, on the road. Um, and I get, like, I mean, LeBron did put up 40 points in game four and was, was dominant. Uh, and so if he doesn't do that, the Cavs really don't have a chance of winning. And so maybe, Beating this to death, but it's just limiting LeBron James uh, by let, not letting him drive is something I think the Celtics did really well in games one and two. Um, they got away from it in games three and four, but we'll see. I mean, I I say all this, I'm worked up into a lather about how the Celtics are one game away from the NBA Finals. Yeah. But, like, would it shock you at all if the Celtics score 16 points in the first quarter of no, game not six? Not at all. Not at all. We're sitting here, you look at this game – and you say, oh, all they have to do is this again. Just do this again, and you'll be okay. Go just win ugly. Just but, win ugly. Just go play the same way, like same effort, same everything. It should be okay. You should be okay. At least even if you say, well, being on the road will is worth, you know, minus 15 points. Well, okay, that's fine because, you know, they won by 13, so it's going to be close. You can say if it's a close game, I'm fine with it, and whatever happens, happens. But – just don't go there and suck. I don't understand why. And I mean, I know that it's hard to play on the road in the playoffs and you got emotions and the other crowd, but 
just it's basketball. The court does the size of the court doesn't change, the rim doesn't change, the basketball doesn't change. Just go out there and play hard. Move, cut, pass, do these things. Jason Tatum, be aggressive, play active defense, and just go do it. Just go do it. I figured it out. Brad has to take the team tomorrow to whatever that gym was in Hoosiers and get out the measuring tape. It'll be a classic Brad Indiana move. It's the same court, ten feet high. I think it might work. If this was hockey, they would bring a water bottle of Boston water out to Cleveland and spray it on the ice, so it just be so they're like, oh, now it's Boston ice. But there's no equivalent of that for for basketball. Brad should bring some parquet and install it. Or like, you know, how football coaches just do like dumb things, like eat worms, or like you always hear just like dumb stories. I want Brad to do something absolutely absurd, so the people, uh, the fine players of the Boston Celtics, know that uh, this is for real. They mean Brad means business. Uh, let's hit Twitter. I just wanted just to shout out uh, Monty at Hatcha with three A's, thirty three. So I tweeted out that quote from Jay King that we've been talking about, and I just said, what the, this is the, is this the most embarrassing coach quote ever? And he responded, Allen Iverson just stepped over this quote, which is such a brilliant <laughs> response. I, that, that's just so beautiful. It just, oh, beautiful. I, I, as I said on Twitter, frame that quote. That is just gorgeous, perfect response. I'm not going to, uh, shout out to everybody who sent us comments and everything i just want to let that one marinate for a little bit as we get to jam's junk drawer because that was the absolute perfect response we diving right into the junk drawer right now do it let's just do it man all right walking to the game i tweeted this out but i saw a nice young couple uh, a man and a woman with matching Kyrie jerseys and matching white capris that i decided to call culottes even though i don't really know what culottes are but that was a, such a strong look to start the day. It was a beautiful day in Boston. I walked through pub, walked through the public garden, walked through the common, walked through government center, and then right it was like before I got to the game, I saw this couple with Kyrie jerseys and white capris, and I said, "Oh, that's a good sign." <laughs> um, Jay King really pissed me off earlier in the day because I had a great tweet uh, where I was pretending to ask Brad. Uh, so it's best of three to get to the NBA Finals. Nothing better than this, huh? And then Jay just responded, this is a good tweet. I was like, come on, buddy. <laughs> There's a protocol here for identifying good tweets. It's called a retweet. Yeah, I was just... a retweet, a like, something. And so um, I've been having a lot of fun with that. So any, I'm not retweeting Jay King ever again. I'm just going to respond, that was a good tweet, or I agree. Um, but then he eventually retweeted because I gave him a bunch of shit in the locker room. But it was, it was a good time. That, um, that explains – I saw you tweet something like, I like this tweet. And I was like, <laughs> why didn't he just like – and I was going to respond, and I was like, ah, there's something to it. That's it's because I was being very, very petty. Um, I was uh, – Kelly Olynyk was in the building tonight. Uh, I saw him in the elevator, and it's like I wasn't really paying attention. I looked up and I was like, oh, there's Kelly. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. He was uh, courtside. They showed him on the Jumbotron. His friend was there wearing the old 41 jersey. He kind of flashed that. I think it's just cool, kind of the relationship the Celtics have with uh, with their former players. I, that's I, That feels pretty rare to me. I don't remember that. But um, after his Game 7 heroics last year, I thought that was cool to see. Um, also in the building tonight, ladies love Cool James. LL Cool J's there, just sitting behind the Cavs bench. Random. I don't know. 
I don't know why he was there. I don't know what team he's rooting for. He's from Queens. Um, maybe he's just promoting NCIS, but uh, that was cool. <laughs> um, we got to talk about the Larry Nance fight. Like, if you get blocked by Mook, Mook's going to stand over you and talk shit. Like, them's the rules. Have you have you met Marcus Morris? For him to just, like, get up and shove him is just, like, it was ridiculous. And Terry Rozier comes flying in and throws a shove, which is was not great. You got to do what Marcus Smart did against JR. You got to come flying in and get your chest as close to that person as possible, but without thro- extending your arms whatsoever. Because after Larry Nance does that, just dumb nonsense, it actually resulted with the Celtics having two techs and only one tech on, uh, on the Cavs. And so it was a net negative for the Celtics after what clearly was Nance instigated everything. Like, if you can't deal with some shit talk from Marcus Morris, you don't belong in the league. I don't care how good a dunker your dad was, but Tito's got to, um, <laughs> Tito's got to fix that. Uh, but I thought it was it was just a classic Mook moment. We have that, and then uh, Mook winking at Jalen Brown as they walk back to the huddle was great. Uh, speaking of Larry Nance, uh, this is a real old-school reference, but um, do you remember the late seasons of the Cosby show where they had to bring on Cousin Pam uh, because they were running out of Cosby kids? And then Cousin Pam had a friend named Charmaine, and Charmaine had a boyfriend named Lance. And she would always go, oh, Lance. The entire time, anytime Larry Nance did something, I would just go, oh, Nance. And um, that, like, personally amuses me. Uh, uh, Lance was played by the great actor Alan Payne. Um, but anytime I can bring up Cousin Pam on a podcast, I feel like it's uh, I'm obligated to. Um, moving on, some, some nice fuck you JR chants after a common foul. Uh, I'm glad to see the Boston Craft Faithful is uh, still coming with the hits. Uh, they kept going back to the well, but uh, it felt fun. Uh, the crowd tonight—I uh, don't think we talked about it—but it was electric. It was—it was classic Garden in the playoffs, and uh, I think the 8:30 start has uh, something to do with it. A little, like every seat was filled by the time the anthem started, and the crowd was into it. Uh, I thought like they were great, um, and so I'm always amused by just uh, just foul mouth chanting from Boston fans. It's just like so on brand that it's amusing to me. <laughs> it's very. Awesome. Oh my God! This is the Nance. This is the oh Nance junk drawer. He tried to murder Aaron Baines, as someone uh, is running an electric saw or something. Holy crap! It's like they're building that office around you. They're building like a stage. Oh, there it goes again. Oh. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to abbreviate the junk drawer because that is extraordinarily loud. Uh, drink it in, folks. Drink it in. I, I I have to mute myself. This is absurd. That is wow horrible. That was ridiculous. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Alien Dave using the Rain and Junk hashtag, who made a super high quality, obscure but awesome reference where he said they talk about LeBron being tired. He says LeBron's tired, tired of playing the game. Ain't it a crying shame? He's so tired. Which, of course, are the lyrics from Lily von Stupp's performance in Blazing Saddles, the great Madeline Kahn on stage singing I'm So Tired. That is an awesome reference. I love you guys on Twitter tonight. You guys are just smoking the references. That is so high quality. I can't even. That, I, unbelievable. Unbelievable. A round of applause for Alien Dave. For the quality Blazing Saddles reference. Jam, are they done building that stage around you? 
Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it for me, folks. They are running power tools. <laughs> I think that's going to be where we end the show. Uh, glad to be in a good mood tonight because the Celtics win 96-83. Sorry for the background noise, but they're always doing something in the garden. And no matter how high up Sam Packard is, there's just, it's just unavoidable. If you have enjoyed today's show, we hope you enjoyed it enough to become a subscriber. If you're not, search for Lockdown Celtics wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are a subscriber, please give us that five-star rating. Write a good review. This has been a good show. I hope you enjoyed the Rachel Nichols show yesterday. I hope that's all worth five stars and good reviews because that helps us climb the rankings and as we said, that is a, essentially a form of payment for us. And that would be very helpful because we like to get paid for our work. All right. Game six is Friday night. Hopefully the Celtics can play somewhat like they did tonight. Even if they have to win ugly, I'm all for it. They got to win this thing in six because I'm, I'm not sure about a game seven. I really don't know what to think about a game seven. But we'll see. We'll talk about that. Hopefully we don't have to talk about a Game 7. But we will be here for you next time on the Lockdown Celtics Podcast. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.